We're going to go ahead and get back into the book of Job, Job chapter 42. We are almost done. I would say that I would be finishing today, but there is a whole lot in chapter 42, and I can't guarantee that I'll finish. I actually am a straight betwixt two, having a desire to finish and a desire to uh, try and make sure I get everything in here. So uh, I am leaning more. I'm leaning more toward two weeks. Uh, but for the record, this is only part 68. So I may have been teaching this for forever, but I have not been teaching this very often forever. So uh, I looked. And our sound folks make sure they know how many parts I've done. So I am on part 68, so we aren't doing too bad. At 52 weeks a year, I've only been less than a year and a half, so we're good. Uh, Job chapter 42, and we'll pick it up. Verse number 1, of course, the Lord has finished, and he has finished talking about Leviathan. And now he is about to uh, let Job answer. And Job's going to bring an answer here, Job 42 Verse number one, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes, mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Uh, so here's Job and Job's reply to the Lord. This is ultimately the last thing we hear from Job. Uh, the last thing we hear from Job are these six verses here in Job 42. Uh, and this is it right here for, for Job's final statements, and they're a good one. And you'll notice that there is nothing contained in it about himself, uh, as in self-righteousness, self-pride, self-justification. All of that has been eliminated. By the time he's done, uh, the Lord is done talking to Job. Job has eliminated any of that thought process in his mind. Uh, he's also not talking about his friends who have failed to comfort him. Uh, he's not talking about the circumstances that he's been put through. He's not talking about any of that. Instead, his eyes have been adjusted now that he has seen the Lord. Uh, his eyes have been adjusted to see what he needs to see. And so we'll have a word of prayer and we'll, we'll try and cover as much as we can, I do really don't think I'm going to finish today, though. So, Father, I do thank you for the day, and I thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and your care of us. And, Father, I do thank you so much for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that can wash any man of their sins if they would call upon him. And, Father, I pray, Lord, today's friend day. I pray we'd have some friends and some visitors, uh, Father, saved and lost alike that would come in. But, Father, I pray if someone's lost without Jesus Christ today, they'd call upon him alone to save them from their sin. Father, once again, we pray you would bless the hour, give us wisdom as we look at the book. And Father, we pray you would come back soon to take us home in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. So here we are in Job 42, and of course, Job makes the answer, and he starts off in the right place. I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Uh, God can do anything. That's, that's the true statement right there. Uh, Job, Job doesn't miss a beat in this entire little spot right here. Uh, God can do anything. And so uh, hold your place here. We'll grab a few spots. Um, Psalm, let's go to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. 
He says in verse number one, I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. You can keep going, and he talks about the mighty acts and the greatness of the acts that he has done and the righteousness and all of his goodness and so on. You can just keep going. Uh, God does anything he wants to do. He's God. Uh, Psalm 113 is a good place to go. Uh, Psalm 113. He says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high, who humbleth Himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that He may set him with princes. Even with the princes of His people, He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Uh, the Lord can do anything He wants. He can make the poor rich. He can make the barren womb to bring forth. He can go ahead. He can do whatever He wants to do. Uh, we can do this for a while. Uh, I'm going to stop right there. You can go over to Micah chapter 7 if you want. You can go to Numbers chapter 23. He does whatever He wants to do. He's God. Uh, he indicated that easily throughout the, the few chapters the Lord spoke. He goes through and He's just hammering away at Job and letting him know, hey, I'm the one. Where were you when I did all these things? I'm God. I'm the creator of the universe. I took care of all the things. I'm the one who laid the foundations, and nobody else was there when I did what I do. I am God, and without him, you can do nothing. And you get back to Job 42, and he says uh, in verse number 2 there, Job 42, 2, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Uh, we know all the verses, and the Lord knows our thoughts. Uh, that's, that's not difficult. Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, is on the earth, and he perceives their thoughts whenever he feels like it. Uh, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, and the Lord knows your thoughts. He knows everything, everything that you think. Uh, and he's going to go ahead and understands all those. And then he says in verse 3, Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Uh, that's a quote. Uh, he's purposely quoting God now. Uh, Job is, Job is going to do this a couple times right here. He goes back and he quotes what God said to him. Uh, the Lord said that to him in uh, chapter 38, verse number 2, and Job's going to answer that question. That's why he repeats it. He says, uh, who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? And then he replies, he goes, therefore have I, underst have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me which I knew not. His answer is, I didn't know what I was talking about. His answer, I don't know. I, I didn't have the knowledge of what I was supposed to say. I didn't understand what I was supposed to say. The things are too wonderful for me. Uh, he answers exactly how foolish he is. Now, in a moment, you're going to see in verse number, uh, number 7 that the Lord's going to speak over to the three friends, Eliphaz and his two friends. And his wrath is kindled because they spoke the thing that's not right. Now notice, these three guys didn't say anything right here. Job's ready, and they're not amening behind him, going, yep, we messed that up too, we didn't know what we were talking about. Nope, they're still silent. They're like, okay, good, he's dealing with Job. He's leaving us alone. 
Uh, and that's they did, they recognized they did, if they recognized they did something wrong or they said something wrong they didn't they didn't sign up for that line right there they didn't go hey we did this wrong too uh, instead it's just Job right here and he's going I have uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me which I knew not and then he's going to quote the Lord again he says uh, here I beseech thee and I will speak I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me that's not that's not Job demanding of the Lord to speak. That's what the Lord said back to him back there in uh, chapter 40 and verse 7. Job's going to have to give an answer as God has asked of him. And he's quoting God, hey, Lord, you wanted me to answer, so I'll answer. Uh, the Lord told him, you know, gird up your loins like a man and, and you're going to answer me now, right? That's, that's, the, that's the idea. And Job's, Job's going, okay, you told me to answer you, so I'm going to answer you. Uh, if Otherwise, you realize that if Job wasn't supposed to give an answer, the Lord wouldn't have asked for one. And Job would have been silent, and it would have been a, probably a better thing to shut up and sit there and just take it, because that's what he deserved. But the Lord asked him for an answer. So Job says, I'll answer. You asked me for one, so I'm going to answer. Otherwise, I would just be a fool. I would utter things that I understood not and things that are too wonderful for me. I would just keep going in my foolishness. But you asked me to answer, so I'm going to answer as best I possibly can. And he says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. He says, I'm face to face now. This is what Job asked for. Isn't that what he asked for? He wanted to be face to face and be able to plead his cause before God and go ahead and make the argument and go ahead and justify himself. That's what he's been asking God for. He's been asking God to get the face-to-face -face moment that I can see my judge face-to-face -face and we can get this settled and he can tell me why all these things have happened to me and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have him answer. <laughs> and now Job says, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job figured out something really quick. That you do not have to answer, God does not have to answer to you, you answer to him. And when you do, you realize that all the things that you said and all the things that you did are worthy to be repented of. Now, amazingly, face to face with God, his statement is, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Uh, all the new versions hate this spot, by the way. This is another one of the spots that they hate. And what do they do? Uh, they do all things like, I make a retraction. <laughs> I just want to take back all the things that I said. Uh, one of them says that I abhor the rash speeches. Well, I just hate that I said those things. That's a whole lot different than I hate me. I abhor myself. See, they don't want to realize that uh, man at his best state is altogether vanity. They don't like the idea that man can't be good and getting better. Instead, it's, well, I hate that I said that. No, I hate myself. I abhor myself, and because I abhor myself, I'll repent in dust and ashes. It's the humility that's showing up now for Job that is about to bring about exactly what he is going to get and what he uh, ultimately doesn't deserve, but the mercy and the grace and the loving kindness of God goes ahead and shows up. Uh, another version says, I loathe my words. That's it. It's just about, well, I, I didn't mean to say those things. No, no. It's Job, that's who you were. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You said what you really wanted to say, and now here you are, and you said it over and over and over again, and now God's got you right in front of him, and you recognize, 
I'm nothing. Uh, we see it over repeatedly in Isaiah chapter 6, right? He goes ahead and, and uh, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. Why? For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Uh, the recognition of who God is versus who we are. And Job's got the right view. Uh, psalm 51, right? The repentance of, of David. And he's writing that psalm of repentance in Psalm 51. And he, he's talking about him being sinful. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And he repents. Uh, when you recognize that you're doing wrong, repentance is the way to go. Uh, look over at Second uh, Corinthians chapter 7. Second Corinthians chapter 7. The other place you get is, uh, that's pretty good on this, is the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son goes out, right? He gets, he gets his half early. He wants his half now, so he takes his half of the, of the bounty that he could get as his inheritance. He takes it now. He goes and wastes his substance with riotous living. He, he blows all the money. He goes and now he's down working in the hog pen. And he's, he's so hungry in the famine that he would go ahead and eat the husks that he's feeding the swine. And he comes to himself when he realizes what he's done. His statement is that he's going to go to his father's house. And the first statement he's going to make when he gets back to the father's house is, I have sinned. Right answer. Right answer. I didn't do this right. I've sinned. That's the true, now he's, Job is on the same page. He's realized all those things. I may have tried to live perfect. I may have tried to do right, but there's a reason I was making sacrifices. There's a reason, and now I've stepped into the area where I have overstepped by far into questioning the righteousness of God so that I could justify my own. Notice what he has gotten. He has gotten in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 10. He says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of but the sorrow of the world worketh death uh, what's the difference uh, when you sorrow in a worldly sense it's I'm sorry I got caught and I loathe my words <laughs> that's, that's worldly sorrow oh I wish I wouldn't have gotten caught saying what I said so I'm sorry that I said those things as opposed to nope I abhor myself I am no good. That is a big difference. And the world doesn't like that difference. And godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation, not to be repented of. It saves you from the place that you were in. The lost man needs to recognize it so that he can get salvation from God for all of eternity. The saved man needs to recognize it so he can get saved out of a condemnation in this life and not be judged with the world. And going through all the sufferings that you have to, and whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And he has to go through all those things. Why? Because he has decided to do it his way, as opposed to God's way, and now he is stuck. But if you have godly sorrow, you'll repent, and you'll come back to him. I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thine hired servants. Good place to be, if you'd figure it out. Look over at James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Say, what does God do? We know the end of the story of Job. For the most part, everybody knows the end of the story. The end of the story is he receives a double portion. 
But why does he get that? Well, he gets that. Part of the reason he gets that is this right here. Uh, James chapter 4 and verse 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. What did Job get? He got humility. That's what he got. Humility makes it so that the blessings of God can show up. Pride brings contention. Humility brings blessings. Look over at, uh, oh, look over at Luke chapter 18. You know the other spots over in 1 Peter chapter 5 and, and so on, but uh, Luke chapter 18. Give you a good example of, of that. Luke chapter 18. The Lord gives a parable. Here in Luke 18, verse number 9, he spake this parable on a certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, uh, as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week, I give tithes of all that I possess, and the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. There it is. The Lord gives you the, gives you the example. Uh, you want to go ahead and trust in your own righteousness? That's Job early in the book. Job throughout the book is declaring his own righteousness over and over again, justified, justified, justified. I'm not like everybody else. And instead, what he ends up with is figuring out that, uh, nope, God be merciful to me, a sinner is the answer. It's the humility that shows up. And sometimes uh, the reason that the Lord does certain things in our lives is to make it so that we can be humble, so that he can bless us. Uh, go back to Job 42. Job chapter 42. So Job's got the right... He's got the right picture now. The Lord called him on the carpet. He finished up, and he's, he's got Job. And this is the last thing Job says about himself. The last thing he says about himself is, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Uh, he understands exactly who he is now in the eyes of God, which happens frequently. Uh, and, you know, uh, in Luke chapter 5, you've got, um, I guess, Peter on the boat. And he says, hey, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. I know who I am. I'm a sinful man. Outside of Jesus Christ, that's what we are. Just sinful men. And Job's recognizing it. And you get to Job 42, verse 7, and he says, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Therefore, take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. 
So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Nemethite uh, went and did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job. Uh, amazing right here. The Lord turns to the three friends, of course. These are uh, the three. He gives you the names of the three once again, Eliphaz, uh, Zophar, and uh, Bildad. Uh, the three of them, uh, he's purposely exempted Elihu. Uh, Elihu, the author of the book, he's exempted him, and he's exempted him on purpose. If you were to look over the list of things that uh, people had said throughout the, the book, uh, Elihu is the only one who lines up very well with God. I think he may miss in a couple of spots, but overall, Elihu's the fair party who tried to represent God. He did, he did a pretty fair showing of it, too. And the three friends, though, they just constant attack of Job and who he was and his character and his failures. And they assigned certain truths that they wanted to give to God that God didn't agree with. And instead he makes the statement uh, that Job was the one who spoke right things. Now we know Job didn't get everything right. But Job did do certain things uh, that he said that, that were absolutely true. Uh, right, he, he talked about the wicked and how the wicked aren't paid in full in this life. They have, they have a judgment that's going to come and that's going to be taken care of later. They don't pay for everything here. Job talked about that. That's, that's an accurate assessment from God. Although, so the children of, you know, these three guys here, they, they're talking and they're always criticizing Job that he's paying and reaping all the terror of what he has done wickedly. He must be a wicked man. Uh, but... The same, Job recognizes that the troubles that people have that are saved, the saints of God, are having the same troubles as the wicked men in the world. The sinners deal with trouble, but man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. <laughs> we understand troubles come and it comes on everybody. Uh, and it doesn't exempt you from trouble just because you get saved or just because uh, you're trying to be a good person. Well, I'm just trying to do right. Yeah, but trouble falls on everybody. And Job declared that repeatedly. Also, he made sure that uh, everybody understood all he wanted was a daysman. He wanted an attorney. He wanted a lawyer to do what? To go ahead and stand between him and God. Well, that's what every sinful man needs. He needs a daysman to go between him and God. Otherwise, he can't, he can't endure. How are you going to stand in front of God? What are you going to declare? What's your argument going to be? Job makes it plain. We don't have an argument in front of God. The only argument you and I have now in front of God is a daysman that showed up, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Without him, we don't have, we don't have somebody to stand in our stead. Uh, and we certainly aren't going to be able to make the argument. We'll end up like Job, or abhorring ourselves, repenting in dust and ashes, and spending eternity in a lake of fire, because that's what we deserve. But instead, we get a daysman. We get somebody to stand in the gap for us. He even says that he had sinned. We forget that. Early in the book, Job makes the statement that he's a sinner. Uh, chapter 7. Jump back to Job chapter 7. He makes the statement. This is part of Job, one of Job's speeches. He's going uh, for a few, few chapters here. Uh, and he gets down all the way to the end of chapter 7, verse number 20. And he says, I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men, talking to the Lord? Why hast thou set me as a mark against, 
against thee, so that I am burdened to myself. And why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away mine iniquity? For now shall I sleep in the dust, and thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. He declares that I'm, I'm a sinful man. I've done things. I haven't done everything perfect. He didn't think he was sinless. Uh, but boy, he ended up having to argue those things. And uh, they just kept going. Uh, back to Job 42. And so here the Lord is, and he, his wrath is kindled against these three guys. Elihu's excluded, uh, but the three friends are here, and he's got them. And his wrath is kindled, verse number 7. And so he has them do something. He says, take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. Uh, seven bullocks and seven rams. Uh, that is a Gentile offering uh, back before the law included. Uh, go to Numbers chapter 23. Numbers chapter 23. If you don't know what is happening in the book of Numbers right here, um, <clears throat> you have Balaam uh, who has favor with God and Balak, the king, sends word to go, get, uh, to go get Balaam and to go ahead and he wants to curse the nation of Israel because they're about to come in and take over. Uh, they're running over the top of everybody. And uh, he's worried and he's afraid, so he gets Balaam to come. And Balaam had uh, great power ultimately with God, and he wanted uh, Balaam to go ahead and curse him. And Balaam, of course, he does not, uh, at least not in what he says as far as the prophecies go. Uh, instead, he slides a note over to Balak as he leaves. But anyways, we'll get into, won't get into that today. Notice verse number 1 here of Numbers 23. Notice what Balaam and Balak set up for, for the sacrifice they're going to make to go ahead and talk to God. Uh, that's the idea. They're going, to, they're, going to set the, they're going to set the offering. They're going to make the offering to God to try and appease and get him to do what they want him to do. They're going to make the sacrifices they need to prove to God that they're serious about what they're saying. Verse number 1, And Balaam said unto Balak, Build me here seven altars, and prepare me here seven oxen and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered on every altar a bullock, and a ram. Well, there's seven altars, there's seven bullocks, there's seven rams, and they're making seven sets up, setups on the sacrifices. He does it again. Look down at verse, four, uh, verse 14. And he brought him into the field of Zophim uh, to the top of Pisgah and built seven altars and offered a bullock and a ram on every altar. He does it again, seven. Seven bullocks, seven rams. Say, what, what, are they, what is he asking for? What's the Lord asking for? He's asking for the offering that is going to be made that's supposed to appease him from the Gentiles. Seven rams and seven oxen, seven bullocks. And so he brings them up, and that's what they're supposed to do. And so they're going to go ahead and make their offering. But notice, go back to Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42, he says to have them do that in verse number 8. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job. What's Job got to do with this? 
and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him. That's pretty awesome. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get into that here just a little bit. Uh, uh, he goes, hey, uh, you need to go to Job so that I'll take you. <laughs> Say, well, why? Because everybody needs a daysman. Jesus Christ hasn't shown up yet. But these three guys need a daysman. They need somebody to stand that has enough righteousness with God and enough standing with God for God to accept what they're going to do. So what does that mean? Well, Genesis chapter 4 is the first time that phrase shows up. Right? Cain and Abel bring their sacrifice. Cain brings the fruit of the ground. Abel brings the firstling of his flock. Abel's sacrifice is accepted. Cain's is rejected. Cain's mad. He leaves, right? His count, why art thou countenance fallen and why art thou wroth? And so on. He says, if thou doest well, shalt thou not also be accepted. That's the statement he makes to, to Cain. If you do it right, you're going to be accepted. If you don't do it right, we can't accept it. And that's why the world wants to go, well, you know, we can just get whatever, whatever way we want to. We can get to heaven. The problem with that statement is it's not true. If you don't do it the way you were supposed to do it, you don't get accepted. You don't get salvation. So what's the means of salvation? Only Jesus Christ. He made the means. I am the way, only one. The truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Without Him, without our daysmen, we don't get to be accepted by the Father. And when you got saved, you got accepted into the Beloved, and we can go to a million verses on that. But you realize that Job is the one that God is going to accept from right now. He's the only reason that these three guys are going to be accepted and the wrath of God is going to not fall on them. That's amazing. It's a great picture, by the way, uh, later to the tribulation. Uh, without the Jews, without Israel, the message doesn't go. They need, they need the daysmen to show up and give them the message. It's a great picture to the church age, but I won't get into too many of those things. Uh, the reason is that Job has already brought the right sacrifice. He's already taken care of on his sacrifice. Look over at Psalm 51. I referenced David's psalm of repentance earlier. Psalm 51. He says in verse number 16... This is, once again, this is David's repentance, and he's, he's coming to God. And he says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. That's already where Job is. Job already broke, has his broken spirit, his broken and contrite heart is laid out before the Lord already. He goes, I'm abhorring myself, I'm repenting in dust and ashes. I am done. I am not worthy. And the Lord says, I'll take that sacrifice. Already done. I don't need a bullock from you. I don't need a ram from you. I don't need anything from you, Job. You already gave me the sacrifice I want. Now these three idiots, <laughs> they're going to have to go deal with me on my terms now. They didn't fix it. Now I've got to tell them what they have to do. Okay, you can bring in your burnt offerings and your sacrifices. I'll take them. They're not what I wanted, but I'll take them. And Job... You're going to have to go ahead and pray for them because if you don't pray for them, I'm not rightly sure they're going to live. Isn't that the children of Israel under Moses? 
God's going to wipe them out. The only reason he doesn't is because somebody stands in between. Moses does. You can't kill him, it'll hurt your glory. The daysman steps in the middle. Uh, and it has to be a proper daysman. You realize that uh, Abraham does the same thing for a Gentile king? He prays and removes the curse from them? Genesis chapter 20. You're looking at me like I'm crazy right there. Genesis chapter 20. I feel like that, that, this one's not coming back up in your memory. So we're going to go. Genesis chapter 20. All the way at the end, right? Abraham's messed up again. <laughs> right? He's already failed <laughs> uh, a couple times now. Anyways, uh, verse number 17. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children, for the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Abimelech couldn't get God to change anything, so Abraham did it. Uh, Moses does that for his sister Miriam. Moses did it for the nation of Israel. Uh, Moses did that a few times for the people, but uh, over and over again. He said, what did they need? They needed a daysman. They needed somebody to say something on their behalf. Otherwise, God wasn't accepting it. Our salvation is the same. Except it's not me that goes in the middle or Pastor Legault or anybody else. It's that Jesus Christ steps in the middle between God and men to make that, the agreement happen. And he takes care of it. He's the great high priest. Uh, he is the one who steps in the middle and can do, and make the agreement. Uh, but here, uh, Job 42 again. Uh, here, Job, Job has, uh, has the ability. Uh, he has the ability to be the daysman because Jesus Christ isn't there. There is no daysman like him. Uh, but he shows up and Job is there and he's going he's gonna to try and answer and pray and the Lord will accept him. And the Lord's already accepted Job. And he says in verse number 8, uh, he says uh, to take the seven bullocks and the seven rams and so on. And then he says, lest I deal with you after your folly in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, went and did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job. They went, yes, sir. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's, um, that's one of the reasons the Lord was so mad at uh, the money changers in the temple. The idea of the money changers in the temple was, I can go and spend five bucks, and I can get this lamb conveniently. It's not my lamb. I have no attachment to it. It's not going to really, I mean, it cost me a couple bucks, but I didn't have to transport it here. I didn't have to bring the sacrifice. I could just buy the sacrifice right there. Just, I mean, it's convenient. And uh, that's part of it. It's that uh, the idea that your sin and your pride and your arrogancy will always cost. Job's humility gave him grace. He didn't have to pay the price. Unmerited favor. And so um, he says uh, in verse number 9, the Lord also accepted Job there. Uh, 
and verse 10, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Now, this is an amazing little phrase, uh, and I'm probably going to have to stop right after this one, uh, but uh, I'm going to get to turn the captivity probably next time, but um, notice he, uh, he did that. He turned the captivity of Job. He accepted Job fully when he prayed for his friends. Does that strike anybody else as uh, amazing right there? Just a little? Hey, what does that mean? That means at the time, those guys had become his enemies. They weren't his friends. Miserable comforters are you all. Uh, what are you even doing here? He's, he's ready to throw them out and, and kick them to the curb. and He's mad at his friends. Hey, what did the Lord do? The Lord showed him, I'm going to forgive you principle laid down right here. I'll forgive you, but you got to make sure you forgive them and pray for them. It's very similar. You realize that it shows this right here proves Job's humility. This action proves Job's humility. How do you know that? Uh, the meekest man in all the earth is Moses. Moses is the reason that everybody who went up against him didn't die. Aaron and Miriam should be dead. In Numbers chapter 13, they should be dead. Miriam should have been struck down with leprosy and die. And Moses did not have to speak up at all. He could have watched his sister die and go, that's what you get for going against God. The only reason she doesn't die right there in the chapter is because of Moses. The children of Israel go up and they got fiery serpents going against them because of Moses, them speaking and murmuring against Moses. And Moses looks over there and says, quick, grab the incense and we're going to go out there. We need to make prayers and intercessions for the people. Against who? Against the people who keep turning against him and murmuring and want him dead. Those same people. He's going, no, no, uh, we got to save all these people. The enemies... You say, what's the, what's the problem? The problem is he's willing to forgive. And he'll only forgive in humility. It doesn't matter what they said about me. It matters that me and God are in the right place. And if I'm right with him, when our ways please the Lord, he maketh even our enemies to be at peace. That's just how it works. It's a principle. Now, you don't have to, you don't have to keep them around forever. Right? I mean, if he doesn't want the influence left with these friends, if they're a bad influence and they're not helping him stay with the Lord and they're going to drag him down, but that doesn't mean you can't forgive them. That's a separate distinction. And pray that the Lord would show them to get it right and how to get it right. That's a different distinction. They need to get right with the Lord. You know what, you know what he just did? If a brother be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such an one. In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. He has no idea that's in the scriptures, but he knows he's supposed to do it. And he goes ahead, and he prays on behalf of his friends who have turned against him, and for the last however long, they have destroyed his reputation. And tried to call into question everything he's ever done. They've lied about him. 
They've told stories about him that weren't true. They've done all sorts of things to make him feel like he is the wicked man. And he has sat there and he has taken it and he's argued with them and argued with them and argued with them. And the Lord says, okay, pray for them. And if you don't pray for them, I'm not accepting their offering. Now, here's the scary part. What lost folks do you have that have done you wrong and you've just said, well, they can go. And you've written them off. Well, then you're not humble. That's pride. They did that to me. No, they did that to the Lord. And the Lord will forgive them if they're willing to go his way. And instead of praying against them, why don't you pray for them? Maybe perchance they'll actually get an offering that is acceptable. Now, Job could have prayed for them, and they could have not brought zero bullocks and zero rams, and the Lord's wrath would have stayed kindled against them. You can't make somebody make the sacrifice that they were supposed to make. You can't make them trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's not how it works. But the opportunity you give them by praying for them and praying in their stead and trying to be the mediator and trying to be the one who can be there as an ambassador for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, mediator, be you reconciled to God. Right? Second Corinthians chapter 5. Right here, Job is the only reason the friends are not going to be consumed. They did everything they were supposed to do, and if Job doesn't show up, according to that, they don't get it. It's kind of like you and I, if we did everything we were supposed to do and we left Jesus Christ out of it, we don't have salvation. We don't have it. And Job is the peace right here for them. And he wants them to be accepted, so he steps in. That, right, I don't even know how to quantify all of that right there. That's, that is crazy. With the pressure and the power that Job had right there in that one spot. And then you compare that to being a witness for Jesus Christ. You are in the exact same position Job is with everybody you meet. They have the obligation to go get the right sacrifice. <coughs> and you can tell them. But maybe you ought to be praying for them. I think that's a big piece we miss. Anybody else feeling convicted right now? I'm feeling nice and beat up at this particular moment. I don't even like it. Uh, but the Lord turned the captivity of Job. By the way, uh, just we, we mentioned this. I've got to finish up. So, uh, But we mentioned this, right? What holds back the blessings of God? Well, one is pride, right? We went to all those references. Pride holds back the blessings of God. It denies you the blessing that he could give you. You realize Job not praying for his friends right here was the thing that held back his blessing? He was waiting. He turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. 
if Job skips that step, doesn't he miss out on the blessings? And what he's about to get, which is the double portion, twice as much as he had before. Perhaps that's part of your limit on your blessings, is that you are unwilling. You're unwilling to forgive, you're unwilling to go ahead and pray for somebody else, you're unwilling to reach, you're unwilling to do those things, and so Job's going, uh, if I do that though, I get all my blessings. I'll leave you with that. I'll leave you with that thought. Uh, we're going to pray, and next week, Lord willing, unless I'm at a hospital. Um, never know. Brother Larry's on standby, so pray for Brother Larry, especially if I am, you know, if I'm not here, pray for Brother Larry extra, all right? Because uh, he's just got to fill in whenever. So, um, But next week, Lord willing, we will finish the book of Job. Uh, I believe I've got, I, I was looking at my notes earlier today, and I said, I think I have enough to do two weeks, but I might not quite have enough to do two weeks. And Do I have to fill stuff? And it looks like I'm good. I'm, I think I'm right at the right spot, and so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, let's have a word of prayer. We'll take a break. Father, I thank you for the day, and thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today to give you the praise and the worship that you deserve. I pray that you would uh, bless the day. Father, pray that you would show up and help us, Father, to see and to learn and to think about the things you need us to think on. And Lord, I pray we would act on the things that we hear today. Once again, we pray if someone comes in today without Jesus Christ as their Savior, we pray they'd see their need of salvation, they would realize that they're a sinner, and they call upon Jesus Christ as the only means of their salvation. Father, once again, we pray you get the praise, the honor, and the glory. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, take a break.